from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fetsky. Just a few weekends ago, on Sunday, October 10th, the high temperature in St. Louis reached 88 degrees. That was unusual. Rarely in October have temperatures exceeded 85 degrees. Daily highs throughout the month usually fall between 63 and 75 degrees. With climate change, the country is going to keep getting hotter. Increasingly, people will survive by turning to air conditioning. The National Academy of Sciences named air conditioning one of the greatest engineering achievements of the 20th century. There's no doubt the technology increases comfort and saves lives, but it also comes with environmental costs. Earlier this month, the public radio program Science Friday turned its attention to air conditioning. St. Louis takes center stage in its story. The documentary was produced by St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan and Ella Fetter of Science Friday. If you like what you hear today, an extended version of this documentary is available on Science Friday's podcast feed. Kicking us off now is Ella Fetter with a look at the history of AC. In the summer of 1904, visitors to the World's Fair in St. Louis were in for a rare treat. And it wasn't the giant Ferris wheel or the elephant made of almonds. It wasn't anything you could see or touch. It was something that you felt. So imagine this. It's August, and you've come all the way to St. Louis to see the absolute cutting edge in human achievement. Maybe you checked out the aeronautics competition. But by late afternoon, you've been wandering for hours. You're milling through these crowds, and it's hot, and it's humid. You're just melting when you step into this one building. The Missouri State Building. And inside, it feels so good. Because tucked in the basement is a 30-ton refrigeration plant allegedly capable of dropping the temperature to just 70 degrees on a 90-degree day. Now, artificial cooling, it wasn't totally unheard of at this point. The trading room at the New York Stock Exchange, the Cornell Medical School's dissection room, both of them got their own cooling systems in just the last few years. But in 1904, for most people, artificial cooling would still have been a novelty, something they might have heard about but wouldn't have experienced for themselves. Local newspapers loved the installation, in some cases devoting multiple paragraphs to it. The St. Louis Republic wrote, quote, Entrance into the Missouri building from the glaring heat outside will be instantly followed by the most delightful relief from the oppressive weather encountered in promenading the grounds. The relief did not last long. Just two weeks before the end of the fair, the Missouri State Building burned to the ground. The story of air conditioning, though, that was just beginning. In many ways, St. Louis was the perfect place to introduce people to artificial cooling. Sheila Farzan is a reporter at St. Louis Public Radio. It sits right at the spot where the Mississippi and Missouri rivers come together. And in the summertime, the combination of heat and humidity can feel almost tropical, like breathing through a warm, wet towel. And for a long time, people just had to find workarounds, turn on a fan, sit on the porch, sleep outside in city parks. And then came air conditioning. 
Many people credit Willis Carrier as the inventor, but his systems were really building on what others had done before. Willis Carrier was an interesting guy because he was somebody who had the right, uh, call it nose, and he was in the right place at exactly the right time. Salvatore Basil is the author of Cool, How Air Conditioning Changed Everything. Carrier was a young engineer working for a company in Buffalo that made heating and ventilation systems. And in 1902, he got an assignment. A printing firm came to the company with a problem that summer humidity was causing paper to swell. And that would mean that it would print incorrectly. They needed something to control the humidity. So Carrier got to work. At first, he tried chemical drying, using a bunch of desiccant, but that contaminated the air with salt droplets. So he changed tactics. He knew that if you lower the air temperature, it'll bring down the humidity too. It took a few more years of experimenting with cool air, but finally, he cracked it. In 1906, he landed on the basic model he'd use for decades to come. Carrier realized that he was onto something. And he borrowed a phrase that was being used in cotton mills, air conditioning. Not air cooling, air conditioning. Because for Carrier, this wasn't just about making it cold. It was a top-to-bottom makeover of the air with four essential components. Cleanliness, control of humidity, control of temperature, and circulation. This was from a promotional video from the 40s. These would never have been commercially possible, but for the discoveries and air conditioning developments of Dr. Carrier and his associates. In the early decades, air conditioning was mostly used in factories. Not for the comfort of workers, of course, but for the quality of the product. Like macaroni, has to be dried at just the right humidity. Otherwise, it would uh, sour or sometimes crack. Or if you're spinning cotton, it can't be too dry. Otherwise, the thread will break. On the other hand, something like chocolate cannot be manufactured in a hot environment at all. Many chocolate manufacturers would actually close down for the whole summer. But with systems like Carrier's, manufacturing could chug along. Carrier tried to promote air conditioning just for comfort, too. No one was interested because hot weather was something that you put up with. God gave it to you and you had to deal with it. There was a very Victorian sensibility that hot weather was simply a given. It was also just very expensive. The first modern home air conditioner was another company's, Frigidaire's, and it weighed 600 pounds, cost as much as a car, and didn't work all that well. But then Carrier found the perfect customer. Movie theaters. Movie theaters were in a very bad way by the 1920s. They were famous for being places where the air was unbreathable. In 1925, Carrier installed a system in New York's Rivoli Theater. Now, theaters in those days could get very hot, so audiences had all come prepared with fans. And even though the system was starting to run, it hadn't quite kicked in, and people were fanning away. Carrier was standing at the back of the auditorium, very nervous, but then they began to feel the cool, and he noticed all the fans gradually beginning to stop. And this was actually a very unheralded moment, because this was the first time in human history that the average person for the price of a movie ticket could go somewhere and become cool. That was a revolution. All of a sudden, every other movie theater in the United States had to catch up. 
Yes, you lucky people, just sit back for a moment, relax, and notice the delightfully clean, cool, and refreshing atmosphere of this scientifically air-conditioned theater. This is from the 40s. It would run before the show started. I love that this is the selling point. It's not the great movies you're going to see. The key is it's going to be cold. So at first, air conditioning was just about good times and macaroni. But pretty soon, it went from luxury to necessity. The real shift happened after World War II. Air conditioners were becoming more affordable. And in the 50s, there were a lot of new houses being built cheaply. So think poorly insulated, with these big modern windows. Basically what one writer at the time called TV-equipped hotboxes. Air conditioning them was essential. And over time, mortgage lenders and insurers went from treating air conditioning as an unnecessary amenity to covering it, or even requiring home builders to plan for it. And by the late 70s, about half of U.S. households have systems installed. And air conditioning changed how and where people lived. Skyscrapers would be deeply uncomfortable without air conditioning, especially on those upper floors. The Sunbelt states, like Florida, Texas, and New Mexico, they start growing much faster than many other parts of the country. And a lot of people think air conditioning allowed that to happen. And for those who had air conditioning, it wasn't just keeping them comfortable. It wasn't just letting them sleep soundly on summer nights. It was actually saving their lives. Which brings us to St. Louis in 1980. I started working for St. Louis uh, two months out of high school. It wasn't, that was 1977. Gary Ludwig is the fire chief in Champaign, Illinois. We met up at his house one weekend in August. And Gary told me at 18, he joined a federal program that trained people to be first responders. Sometimes you'd be on a fire truck and sometimes you would be in an ambulance. And uh, a lot of times I, I wound up finding myself on an ambulance because they were short staffed. A year later, Gary was hired as a paramedic captain. By 1980, Gary had a few years of experience under his belt. But on July 1st that year, the temperature started rising. On a typical July day in St. Louis, you get a high of about 80 degrees. That day in 1980, it reached 105. And that was just the beginning. For the next 19 days, temperatures were in the upper 90s and low 100s almost every day. Yesterday set a record for power use. 108 degrees today beat the record all to smithereens. This is what summer should be, starting off in May about 80 and peaking off in August about 98 degrees, but we have been nowhere near normal this year. It would become one of the worst heat waves in recent history, with extreme heat stretching all the way from Texas to Washington, D.C. And in St. Louis, as the temperatures rise, the calls start coming in faster and faster. There is one day I know that we hit 350 calls for EMS in a 24-hour period, which was probably 200% or more above our normal limit. And in going to call after call, Gary quickly notices a pattern. The victims of this heat wave tend to be older, lower income, and they don't have air conditioners. A warning to listeners, some of what you're about to hear is disturbing. I don't know how many times I would walk in and I would find some elderly person. Again, their home was shut up and they're sitting in a chair in front of a fan. That's all they had to cool themselves and they're dead. You know, the fan, all this doing is blowing hot air on them. 
their body temperature still rose to 105, 106, 107, 108, 110 degrees. We found some with 115, 116 degree heat indexes on their body. At least 153 people died in St. Louis during the 1983 heat wave. So many that the local newspaper, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, began printing the names and ages of the dead. The city medical examiner told the paper they were running out of places to put the bodies. Unnecessary deaths from a lack of air conditioning continued and continue to this day. That was St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan, along with Science Friday's Ella Fetter. We're back in just a moment with more of their story. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Welcome back. This is St. Louis on the Air. Now let's get back to today's story about air conditioning and the worsening effects of climate change. Science Friday produced this story in partnership with St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan. Here's Science Friday's Ella Fetter on how air conditioning has transformed America. An air conditioner works by taking heat from inside your home or your office or your car and dumping it outside. Usually it does that with a refrigerant, a kind of liquid that easily evaporates. The liquid runs through the air conditioner's pipes, and as it evaporates, turning from liquid to gas, it draws the heat out of the air, cooling the air down. But then, that heat needs to go somewhere. So the air conditioner squeezes the refrigerant back down into a liquid, forcing it to release all that heat again, and throws that heat outside. And that's the cycle. Suck the heat from the inside, dump it outside. I like to imagine a very industrious hamster running back and forth with buckets of heat. Your body works in kind of a similar way, except for instead of a refrigerant, it's sweat. When you heat up, the sweat evaporates off your skin, taking the heat with it. And your body, as it circulates your blood, keeps sending heat to the surface. Hot blood to the skin, cooled blood back down into your body. On and on, with sweat, the cooling engine at the heart of it all. But sometimes your body gets so hot and dehydrated, you actually stop sweating. And that's when you're in real trouble. Heat stroke. Your internal temperature gets to be 105, 106, 107, 108 degrees. And since you stop sweating, what happens is that your body has no more ability to calm itself down. And that's why the body temperature rises. So it cooks your brain is what it does. It virtually just cooks your brain and it also impacts all your organ systems. In fact, you just die. If you look at deaths in the U.S. over the decades, you see a consistent pattern. Most people die in the winter when it's cold. Flus and other respiratory diseases spike and heart attacks. But they also die when it's extremely hot. And so researchers at the University of Virginia decided to look at data going back to the 60s. And they saw that at first, predictably, whenever there was very hot and humid weather, people died. They saw a spike in excess deaths. That was true in the 60s. That was true in the 70s. But by the 90s, the pattern fades. More and more people are surviving the heat. 
And the researchers' best explanation was air conditioning. It's not to say there aren't other factors, like maybe better medical care, but air conditioning, not surprisingly, is a big one. But while the law generally requires landlords to provide heating, for the most part, air conditioning has been considered optional. Except maybe that's starting to change. I'm really glad we're here today uh, to finish this up. We all know why this, what this bill does and, and why we're here. Um, Last year, Montgomery County in Maryland passed a bill requiring landlords to provide air conditioning from June to September. This is Tom Hucker, president of the county council at the final vote. He sponsored the bill. We've had a requirement for heat for a very, very long time because it really is a life or death issue if people don't have heat. And air conditioning has become a life or death issue as well, not just a comfort issue. I recently spoke with Tom and he says before this bill, they'd received a lot of tenant complaints about lack of air conditioning or failing air conditioning. And this bill just made sense. For decades, governments have required landlords to provide heat during winter months. When tenants don't have working heat, unfortunately, tenants perish in the cold. So in a world with climate change and rapidly increasing temperatures year after year, we believe we need to require air conditioning as well. Montgomery County isn't the only one doing this. Arizona law considers air conditioning an essential service, so your landlord has to fix it if it breaks. And Dallas mandates refrigerated air from April to October. But in most places, it's not required. St. Louis included, and someone has to fill in the gaps. Hi. Good morning. It's morning, late in August. Here's Shayla Farzan again from St. Louis Public Radio. I've been driving around St. Louis with a team of air conditioning installers from a nonprofit called Energy Care. It's just past 10 a.m. when we pull up in Jennings, a suburb of North St. Louis. The sun beats down on a little brick house with a peaked roof. Inside, 70-year-old Gloria Van has two fans running on full blast. She's glad to see the techs, and we talk while they work. This heat has really made it hard. <laughs> it's been a really, really hot summer. Oh, my yes. God. And at our age, by the time we walk from our door to the car, it's time to pass on. Keeping the house cool is a full-time job for Gloria and her husband, David. She tells me about all the ways they've changed their lives and schedules just to work around the heat. Cooking only in the morning or very late at night. Baking almost never. And constantly moving fans all day from room to room. She says they did have two window air conditioners, one for the bedroom, the other for the living room. But this summer, one broke. The other one started leaking all over the floor. That's when Gloria heard about energy care. It's one of a handful of nonprofits that helps low-income and elderly people in St. Louis pay for their utility bills. She asked them if they did repairs. They said, no, we'll give you a brand new air conditioner, or two if you want. Thank you, Jesus, because it was disgusting. It takes about 20 minutes to install two air conditioners in Gloria and David Van's home. As the nonprofit workers pack up their tools and paperwork, Gloria pauses in front of the humming little air conditioner and holds out her palm. Oh, wow, you can feel that cool oh, coming yeah. off of there. <laughs> For now, the vans can relax just a little, knowing they won't have to wake up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat or work so hard to keep the house cool. Right, right on. Take care now. You too. 
By the end of the season, Energy Care will have installed more than 200 air conditioners in St. Louis. But cooling this city is an uphill battle. Most St. Louis homes are like pizza ovens. They're made of brick. And that means once they get hot, they stay hot. And they're old. Most were built before 1939. Sometimes the only way to survive the heat is to get outside. Um, so why did you guys decide to come to the pool today? Because it was hot and it's yeah. Nice yeah, it's swimming hot. here. Yeah. It's yeah. Very nice. On a boiling hot August afternoon, I headed to the Fairground Park swimming pool. JC and Thalia Uneze and their cousin Skylar Wilson were there that day, cooling off. Main advantages of the pool, they say, it's spacious and clean. Yeah. You don't really see a lot of bugs, which we like that there's no bugs. Yeah. Thalia, who's 15 and enjoying this remarkably bug-free pool, says they have to keep their air conditioner running all day, but the house is still warm. Our aunt that just turned 85, that house was newly built when she moved into it. So that was like, I think maybe the 1930s or something. So it's like what she said, there's cracks everywhere, so the heat comes in no matter yeah. what. This pool is actually in the zip code where Energy Care installs the most air conditioners, at the far northern tip of the city. Like other U.S. cities, there's a stark racial and economic divide in St. Louis. It's cut in half by a street known as Del Mar Boulevard. North of Del Mar, neighborhoods are predominantly black and lower income. The south side is mostly white, more affluent. People in some of these south side neighborhoods live up to 14 years longer on average than North City residents. Maisha Johnson is an environmental justice advocate in St. Louis, and she says some neighborhoods even feel hotter than others. I noticed that the closer we are to the river, it seems to be a little hotter. I never understood that. I thought it would be the other way around. And that's where most of the black and brown communities are. There's some research backing this up. In 2018, a master's student in geography used satellite data to calculate land surface temperatures in St. Louis and found a distinct band of heat along the Mississippi River and the downtown corridor. And it's not just St. Louis. This is a pattern. Across the U.S., lower-income neighborhoods and places with more people of color are often hotter than wealthier, whiter ones. A lot of that has to do with lack of trees and green spaces. Also, large roads and building complexes that retain a lot of heat. One study found that historically redlined neighborhoods are on average five degrees warmer. Maisha is worried the heat's only getting worse. It's never been that hot that we can think of. It, each year it gets hotter and hotter and the season lasts longer. Climate change will affect regions of the U.S. in different ways. In Florida, sea levels will rise. California will get drier. And Missouri will get a lot hotter. When you look at the cities that will heat up the most in the next few decades, St. Louis and its suburbs are right at the top. Getting people a few more window air conditioners helps right now. It could even save their lives. But in the long run, Maisha says, it won't be enough. As organizations, we can't keep saying, oh, this is what you need, this Band-Aid will help. It 
air conditioning, for all its life-saving, technological wonder, might not be the answer. So remember, air conditioning works by taking the heat from inside and dumping it outside. Which means that as you're cooling down, your neighbors, your block, your city, it's actually getting hotter. And then there's the fact that air conditioning in America uses so much energy. Even though newer individual air conditioners can be pretty efficient, in the US, all that electricity costs about $29 billion a year. And that's just for home air conditioning. Fortunately, air conditioners are not the only way to stay cool. After all, humans existed a long time before AC, and we came up with some very clever ways to keep buildings cold. Things we might take for granted now, like just courtyards. They provide both lots of cross ventilation and shading. Or kind of a similar concept, the dog trot house. Used to be pretty common in Appalachia. Basically a house with a big hole right down the middle that let air pass through. But best of all is the centuries old technique of beaming your heat into space. It, it was mostly in Iran, as far as we can tell, uh, about three to 500 years ago. Ashwat Rahman is a professor of material science and engineering at UCLA and a co-founder of Sky Cool Systems. And he says in Iran's ice houses, these places where they made and stored ice, they took advantage of a strange phenomenon. So basically they had a thin, flat pool of water and, it, you know, the, they would be doing this in the winter, so it's not super warm to begin with. But even though the air temperature almost never got to freezing, that thin sheet of water, if it was exposed to the sky sufficiently, it would freeze overnight. That's because of radiative cooling. It's actually something that all materials do naturally. It's, um, it's a basic property of nature that if you're at a particular temperature, you as a material will emit or radiate heat away. And what happens when you put something out on a very clear night is it can radiate out so much heat that it actually cools down. So nine years ago, Ashwat was a PhD student when he learned about this. I was very curious about this because it sounded pretty amazing. It's passive cooling that, you know, you don't need to do anything. All you need to do is have something outside exposed to the sky and it cools down. It's almost too good to be true. One of the problems was that this effect was only happening at night. Because during the day, yes, you are still emitting heat as infrared, but it's totally canceled out by all the heat you're getting from the sun and your surroundings. So when we began working on it, we asked, well, can we enable this effect during the daytime as well? What Ashwat and his team ended up developing was a little more sophisticated than a pool of water. They designed these films down to their nanostructure so that they were very good at two things. First, they were really good mirrors, really good at reflecting away sunlight. And second, they radiated their heat away at very particular frequencies of infrared radiation, frequencies that could slip right past the greenhouse gases. And it worked. Like, usually, if you put something out in the sun, it gets hotter, right? But Ashwat's material, it got colder. So it's, it's really counterintuitive that, you, and, and you know, the first few times I would just touch it just to, just to check that it was actually working, which of course ruins the experiment because you have to start it all over. So if you think about this, it solves a major problem that air conditioners have. Instead of dumping the heat outside, making your surroundings hotter, you send it to space, technically cooling down the earth ever so slightly. And Ashwat's not the only one working on this kind of thing. You might've seen recent news about super white paint. So instead of a film, it's actually a paint and you could paint it on, say, rooftops to cool them down. 
All of this gives me these nightmarish sci-fi visions where we install these materials everywhere and accidentally freeze the planet, but we're obviously nowhere near that. Right now, Ashwat's company Skycool, they're not even trying to replace air conditioners. They're actually using these materials to cool down air conditioners so they don't have to work quite so hard. Everyone I spoke to was emphatic that we will absolutely need air conditioning, no matter what, especially as the climate warms. But if we're strategic about it, if we combine reflective materials with the basics, like more tree cover, designing buildings that shade themselves and naturally ventilate, then maybe, even though we'll still use air conditioning, we'll need a whole lot less. The old saying, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it, is not quite true. Heating and air conditioning engineers have done plenty about the weather. The National Academy of Sciences lists air conditioning as one of the 10 greatest engineering achievements of the 20th century. And it's true, our world would be unrecognizable without it. It's the big things, the skyscrapers, the movie theaters, the data centers. Think about computers without air conditioning. But it's also that little drip on your head out of nowhere on a clear sunny day, or that ongoing battle with your office mates about whether it's too cold or too hot. And it's also the hum and the rattle of your ancient window unit that's lulling you to sleep on a hot summer night. In August, a period of intense heat gripped the city of St. Louis. We were all ants under a magnifying glass, running from our air-conditioned cars to our homes. But then one Wednesday. So I, I just came outside and I'm standing on my porch in South St. Louis and it is an absolute downpour out here. I actually have to move because I'm starting to get a little wet. We had a couple days of relief after that storm. We could come out of hiding, walk around outside again. And then less than two weeks later, the heat was back. Because for all of our tricks and technologies, all we're really doing is buffering ourselves from the outside world, giving ourselves a little bit of relief until nature decides to give us a break. Air conditioning, it provides comfort. It saved countless people. But at the end of the day, it's weather that rules our lives. That's St. Louis Public Radio Shayla Farzan reporting. That story was produced by Science Friday and co-reported by Ella Fetter. An extended version is available on the Science Friday podcast. The original story aired on Science Friday earlier this month. Our thanks to the show for allowing us to bring it to you today. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.